this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is there you? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hello there, folks. Glad you're tuned in today to Blindsight. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and it's a real pleasure to be with you today. And it's an especial pleasure for me to introduce today's guest, Bonnie Barlow. Bonnie is responsible for uh, doing audio, dis- uh, providing audio describers for many, many events around the uh, area. And some of you may have tuned in when she was a guest of uh, my compatriot, uh, Penn Street. But it was about time to have her back on, and I want to let people know that this is part of mental health. When we talk about ways that we can, blind people, can be involved in things that everyone else is involved in and get a lot of enjoyment. And Bonnie is is the person who's been able to uh, increase the enjoyment of a lot of things in... Colorado. Bonnie, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Bonnie, I always ask my guests uh, how they got into the uh, the business they're in. But before that, I want to ask mm-hmm. you just to clarify for people what audio description is all about. Okay, a description of description by Bonnie yep. Barlow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, basically, so audio description is through audio description, a describer conveys information that's inaccessible or only partially accessible to a segment of the total population, blind people, to provide a comparable experience to that of sighted consumers. As sign language and closed captions provide access for people who are deaf or hard of hearing and are recognized as being present by most folks, audio description is a comparable accessible tool for the blind and visually impaired, though a lot of people still have not heard of it. So the quality, quality audio description is the practice of using vivid, objective, and accurate description of visual events provided to individuals who are blind. And there are lots of areas where AD is used these days and growing all the time. And so I can tell you about any and all of those that are of interest to you. Um, first, I thought it would be fun to say, uh, tell people how I met you. Yeah. Which, do you remember how we met? No, I'm... I'm uh, do you remember how we met? No, I'm not sure. I'm assuming it was at the uh, Denver <laughs> Center for the Performing Arts. Or was yep. The- yep. Um, I was there to describe one of the plays, don't remember which one, but I was actually up in my booth already and I saw you come in with, I think it was with Archie perhaps. Archie, yeah. And I saw that you had a cane. Yeah. I saw that you had a cane and I saw that you didn't have headphones and I thought gosh, does he know about audio description? Ah. So, I came down the back steps and came into the audience and said, 
excuse me, <laughs> um, I, you don't know me, but I'm the audio describer for this show today. Would you like to hear the audio description? And you said, well, sure, whatever that is. And so we got you a headset and you listened to the description at the DCPA, I think, for the first time. So and that I, was that. That was, that was a wonderful introduction because I have ever since, <laughs> uh, I've hit every play. Yep. Uh, at the DCPA with my earphones, and because I'm deaf as well, I have to wear the listening device as well as the right. uh, device to use for audio description. And for people who have not ex experienced this, are uh, a listening device which uh, transmit FM from the state to allow people who have hear uh, hearing difficulty to hear a show, and then... Uh, a similar device with a different channel set up to re receive the uh, word from the audio describer as to what's going on stage. And I can tell, I told Bonnie this, uh, there was one time where there was a, uh, the actor as part of his, uh, the scenario, scene he was doing, he was making some rather lewd, uh, uh, motion and if it if i'd been the audio audio describer i would have been a, a little blunt and probably thrown out of the theater but the audio describer did a beautiful <laughs> job of using uh words very gently so people knew what was going on stage but no one was running out of the audience and that was one of the times that i realized the job of an audio describer Describer is a little more difficult <laughs> than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it is nuanced. <laughs> there are, very, there are very choices nuanced. to be made every moment. <laughs> well, uh, one of the nuances I experience is, uh, for example, with Billy Budd, which was a play, but had a lot of ballet scenes in it. And uh, mm -hmm. my understanding that your people are doing uh, the Colorado Ballet and what's that right. like? What's that like for somebody to describe a ballet as opposed to action on a uh, stage with a play that has a lot of dialogue? Right. Well, <clears throat> one of the basic things that I teach people and that I follow is that I'm always describing an experience. I'm not just giving information. So if I were to try to describe a ballet by just giving information, I might give the names of the certain dance moves and try to name them all as they're doing them and and get into, you know, the uh, specific uh, topics and, and vocabulary that they use. But that wouldn't mean anything to most of the blind audience or to any audience. So what I do is I think, what is the experience that people are getting from this? And it's always that a story is being told. And then how is the story being told? Mm. And it's the same for whether it's a play or a show or a ballet or even contemporary dance. There's a story that's at the basis of it. And what I need to do is look at the things that tell me the story and, and share those. So with something like The Nutcracker, it's pretty easy to follow the story. Um, and with ballet, it's kind of easier to describe because you don't have to fight with dialogue. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the, the trick is to kind of leave space for the beautiful music to play out right. sometimes. Yeah. So if I'm describing 
snowflakes and icicles and things as they're dancing through that scene. I'll every once in a while just want to stop and let the music just play out after I've set the scene of, you know, there's there's snow falling from, you know, the rafters plus the little icicles and their little tutus that are sparkling and white. And then the, you know, the snowflakes are slightly different kind of, and they're all forming a circle and then they swirl around and they leave and they return. And so it's that sort of thing where it's about relationships between dancers or actors or anything that's in a scene and how that kind of conveys the story and emotion. So it's not whether someone's standing or dancing to the left of everyone or to the right. It's are they close together indicating a relationship or are they far apart? Have they turned away? Changes in relationships, all that kind of stuff is how the storytelling happens. And all I do is translate that. And then the, the trick is, or, or what <clears throat> the person who doesn't have sight or has minimal amount of sight is to allow themselves to imagine, to take your words and imagine what they're mm-hmm. seeing on the, on the stage. And right. I think it, I think right. that's one of the beauties of, you know, of theater is when we can use our imagination. In ballet, we can use our imagination. And that remains with mm-hmm. us. And with your help, yeah, that's how we can increase our enjoyment of a particular performance. And I think this is why, right. this is why it's always been fun for me to go to the theater, even though I can't see what's going on, uh, like Hamilton or whatever to be able to have the describer tell me what's going on, and then I can imagine what, you know, uh, to my satisfaction, what's, right. what's going on the stage. And so it's really a Right, part- based on your own life experience. Yeah, and it's a partnership. Based on your own life experience and past right. history, yeah. And it's a partnership between um, the, so- the person in the audience and the describer, is what you're saying. Right. And as a describer, I try to strike kind of a middle ground between because I'm describing to people who may have never had sight or may have recently lost their sight. And so I have to kind of provide for sort of a middle ground. It's like, you know, people may or may not have seen this before, uh, say, mm-hmm, colors mm-hmm. or whatever. But there are general kind of societal you know, uh, stories about colors, how red is usually considered passionate and hot and blue is, you know, the color of the ice and the sky and that sort of thing. So I kind of convey those basic uh, colors mm. as I see a director of lighting producing that in, in so uh, often in a play like Hamilton, they'll change the lighting. Like when everyone kind of freezes in motion and Hamilton steps forward to sing, you know, something by himself because it's his inner thoughts. Often they change the lighting right then to purple or something. And so after I established the first time, the lights go to purple, he steps aside. And then now the lights go back up and everyone moves again. Then next time I can just say the lights go purple and we know this is him alone again. Mm-hmm. So there are certain conventions that they use that we convey then to, to kind of uh, indicate those kinds of changes. Because so, it's important to know whether he's talking to everyone or just us. So hmm. when they break the fourth wall, so to speak, we sometimes have to do that, too. It's not according to the rules. We're always supposed to be objective. But sometimes, like, say, again, in Hamilton, you've got the king 
singing out to the audience as if we are his subjects. And so in that case, I'll say he looks toward us or he looks out over the audience, the subjects. So I'll kind of give you that that entree to that same experience, like, ooh, he's talking to me now. Okay, you know, I'm kind of scared of this guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And then at the end of his, you know, you'll be you'll be back sort of song, he points his scepter at, at the audience and gives us a look and then turns away. You know, it's kind of like mm. a threat. So um, it's it's just kind of again absorbing the story and conveying that. So that's a lot more important than just he's standing over there and these other guys are doing something over there. And so it's just a matter of continually prioritizing, um, you know, what's going on and, and getting into the mood of the show and remaining, keeping that suspension of disbelief so that everyone can stay in the story. And so we don't refer to things as the stage. We'll say it's the, you know, it's the commons, it's the dock, it's, you know, whatever. So we'll uh, always kind of keep within the story. And I guess that's part of the reason that the describer will uh, do the playbill and set the scene and describe the various various scenes that will be and describe the costume that the people will wear so that we can have the the viewer uh, has a, a, a sense of imagining how it looks. And get right. involved. It isn't being passive. It's being for the audience to not be passive, but to be very active in the process right. of uh, participating in the play or the whatever the musical right. the event right. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is the basic first step for all description of no matter what kind is to set the scene. So even so in a painting, it's what's on the canvas, what is in this picture. Is it trees? Is it the woods? Whatever. And then you can get more in detail Mm -hmm. on a stage. It's like I will describe the first set that we'll see, like in Hamilton, you've got the whole big set and it's, you know, the wooden flooring and it's everything's kind of the rough wood that they would have had around the docks and ships in that time. And then you have the second story balcony that goes all the way across the back. And so now you have a place to kind of put all of the action that I'm going to tell you about is happening. Instead of, if I didn't give you that basis, it's like, well, what does it look like that they're on? Are they like floating in space? You know, mm-hmm. not likely, but it could be, um, you know, where, where is this taking place? And it's the same for TV and movies too. Each time a location changes, we give you the location so that you have a, an anchor, you know, a place to put that action. So it makes it easier. Um, so that's the very first thing we do is always set the stage, so to speak. Wow. <clears throat> that's a lot of uh, work in, on uh, the describers part to <clears throat> help us <laughs> get the full experience. Yeah. And I know that in New York they've been doing, uh, uh, I guess they, uh, I can't remember the name of that, but if you go into a theater in New York and you ask for Gallopro, then you have a pre-recorded uh, uh, audio description. But I have a feeling, you know, the times that I've used it <clears throat> in New York, uh, it doesn't have quite the same effect on me as live audio description where the person is responding to what's going on stage in a way that yeah. they're really caught up in it. 
the audio describer is caught up in it as much as the audience. Right. I'm, I'm glad to hear your perspective on that because I hadn't known anyone who would really listen to them. Um, yeah, it's just such a, a nuanced sort of, there's that word again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a subtle difference between I like to strike the tone of being a friend sitting next to you, right. telling you, ooh, here's what I'm seeing up there. Right, right. Now, ooh, here's, this is really interesting. This is the thing I want you to know about right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And I'm always keeping that in mind no matter what I'm describing, whether I'm writing a description for a movie or, you know, describing in person, it's like I'm experiencing this myself on a real visceral level. And that's what I want you to experience. That's what I mean by it's not just about the information. It's about the experience Mm. and they can try, you know, to, to add automation of any kind to this, but it's just not the same, you know, artificial intelligence is artificial, no matter how, and anything that takes you out of that suspension of disbelief is not is doing you a disservice. You know, it's mm. taking you away from the experience everyone else right, is having, right, right. which is I'm lost in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, and you deserve to be lost in the story too. Mm. So that's my belief about that there thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, how did you get into this business? Okay, so back in 1991, 92, it was um, not long after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was in 90, basically, that um, I had gotten to know um, Gail Hamilton here in Denver, who was blind, and she had been my voice teacher. That's how I had met her. And so as a result, I got to know different folks in the blind community and people with disabilities in general, folks who were with the... uh, Coalition for People with Disabilities and that sort of thing, and the uh, rehab and all those folks. And they were going to, like the NFB was going to go to CATS, and they told Very Special Arts Colorado, which was providing access for people with disabilities to the arts, like uh, they had a children's uh, dance group of kids with Down syndrome that they would support, Hmm. or artists who were, you know, visually impaired who did work in bas relief or something that would support them. So it was both for people enjoying the arts and wanting to do the arts that um, they were providing access for. So folks went to them and said, we've heard about audio description. Can you please start doing audio description? And we would like you to describe cats. And if you don't, we're going to stand up in the middle of the show and protest. <laughs> so, um, Damon was it Damon McLeish? No, it was uh, Lynn Replinger was the uh, head of their uh, special arts at that time. So she and the others said, "Well, I think we should probably try to make this happen." So they found a gentleman out in Illinois, Alan Woods. He was with the university there. And they said, can you, you know, help us figure out how to train some audio describers for Denver? So he sent out some materials, um, like little bits of film clips and uh, cassette tape, blank cassette tapes and a recorder and said, you know, have auditions, have people come watch these little bits of the film clips, tell them, describe this objectively, say what you see, not what you feel or think, don't be subjective and then describe it on the tape. And so we all did that. About 12 or so people um, auditioned, and I was one of them. And we sent that all back to him, and he chose 
the people who should be describers. And he came out for that weekend, trained us like Friday night and Saturday, and then he described on Sunday cats, and we all listened. And that was how it was begun. Huh. After that, um, very special arts kind of took care of getting some equipment through a grant and scheduling different shows and kind of building the program and um, went through a few different CEOs of that organization. And eventually they didn't really want to spend a lot of their time on the audio description elements. So I took that part over and I started being the liaison between the theaters and describers. And I had already started training some other describers and stuff. So I was the constant through the years, um, everyone that's describing now in Denver is, is someone that I trained, basically, mm -hmm. or came here from somewhere else. Mm. Um, I'm the only original one left, I think. Well, no. Yeah, no, I trained Honey, too. So, yeah. Um, so, that's how we've done that. So, I just, you know, did that for the most part for years um, at lots of the different theaters around here. I would always go around and try to, you know. We did theater on Broadway, we do family, we did vintage theater, we did uh, Aurora Fox, lots of different theaters. Um, did I say family? There are different productions. Right. I described many of their productions over the years. And um, then I eventually started getting into doing description for TV and movies through, there's a company called Audio Eyes, who's based in LA, and Rick Boggs. And I started writing description for him where they send me the videos that they've gotten the work for and I write the script. So I started with like Grace and Frankie and Blackish and Modern Family, some of the, you know, well-known shows that were on ABC and have written description for those for years. And I just added movies and um, conferences and live events and done the rodeo Um no Barriers USA summits. Um, right. mm -hmm. I've trained groups now to learn how to do their own descriptions. Um, I trained a group of gals in Greece at the Lighthouse for the Blind how to describe their cultural dances that they do. I'm going to be starting with a group in the United Kingdom. I think they're in Scotland this week. Um, I've trained some folks in Canada there was uh, the Houston, the Hobby Center in Houston has the Broadway plays come through there. And I trained them to kind of do, they, interestingly, you know, based on your, I'm kind of coming full circle, your uh, note about how describing actual, you know, motions, whether they're lewd or not, is something that a describer is supposed to do. We're not supposed to censor. Right. They right. discovered mm -hmm. there that their describers that they had hired, um, from outside were censoring some of the material specifically from the book of Mormon because they heard description one year and then another year and they heard the differences. And it's like, huh, that other person didn't tell us about ah. that business. So they said, we need to get better control of our describers right. and the fact that they don't censor themselves for one thing. Yep. So I did some training with them on how, <clears throat> how to bring it in house and how to handle those situations. Sure. And basically it's, a matter of matching the tone of the show. You know, you've got people there who are already watching the show. They're already immersed in that sort of cultural reference that right. is being used. So just using the tone of the show, you know, saying pelvic thrusts or, you know, 
just whatever the, the motions are that you see, that's not you being lewd. That, that's them you know, expressing themselves <laughs> and you translating it. So that's all that that is. But people, you know, think that they have the right to censor something because they're uncomfortable or they think someone else might be uncomfortable. And that's just not, you know, appropriate describing. So those are the kind of basics I try to teach. Well, I heard you uh, talk about dance. I heard you talk about plays. Uh, what other and TV, TV and movies? Uh, mm-hmm. I've often wondered whether uh, what it would be like if an audio describer uh, would uh, d- be available to describe artwork for someone who goes to say an art, mu- art museum. Oh yeah, yep, we do that. Um, in many different ways. Uh, what I've done, I used to do scripts for the uh, Denver Art Museum when they would bring in certain uh, temporary exhibits. Um, we would create description for, say, the uh, artists of Cos Cobb, the ones who were, you know, like uh, Homer Winslow. And so I would write description of specific paintings or sculptures, and either the docents would read my description and then their subjective input on the piece because if you go to to a museum they'll tell you all about the artwork but they won't tell you what it looks like because they assume you can see it so basically we just again set that stage what is it we're looking at so that it makes sense when you start comparing it to this guy versus that artist and so i did scripts for quilts amish quilts um the great european masters african masks um I mean, you name it, even the modern well, I, art. I know for, ones, the, which for is the, quilt, the quilt exhibit in Cunningham, who uh, a lot of people in the blindness community knows because she would do tactile mm-hmm. uh, embossing right. of different artwork. So the combination of right. having you describe and, and having Anne's uh, tactile work can really give, yep. give a yep. person who is blind uh, even a, a lot more uh, uh nuance than perhaps someone who can yeah. only look at a piece of art and not not really have that feel that we can have by uh, touching the the embossing yeah and that's one thing too like with the ballet and with the art anytime you can get a touch kind of sensory tour going as well really makes the experience better so we would always try to do that with the ballet when we could we would have a sensory tour and let people feel the costumes and the set right. and all of that. So, right. again, you can imagine where it's taking place. They did, for the ballet, they did an amazing uh, new ballet for the Wizard of Oz. Oh, so they uh-huh. had the, the monkeys and the wings and, you know, the witch and all kinds of cool stuff that um, people could go feel ahead of time. And that was just incredible um, to describe and to get to witness. But... Um, so then also there are museums that will have, you know, exhibits. So I <clears throat> recently finished a Smithsonian exhibit um, called The Entertainment Nation. And it's a new, almost full floor exhibit. It's going to be there for 20 years and it has accessible features to it. And so the description I wrote was either of different films and movie movie clips and TV shows that talked about kind of it was about the melting pot of our nation and people of all different 
cultures and diversity through shows like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and movies and films. And so it became very important to describe, you know, the relationships again between the people who were either portrayed in the entertainment or enjoying different entertainment together, like black and white audiences watching Sesame Street with the same amount of interest and engagement and that sort of thing. So, um, and, and some of it was interactive where you go plug in the headphones and you get to like touch the guitar, one of Prince's guitars. And so I would add to my description, you know, his different, the style of his guitars and add in a little bit of the history of some of those things. So it was a real mix of things to describe. And that was like a three month project. And so I still have all the materials from that that I'd like to share with people in some way without them having to actually even go to the museum necessarily, but it's definitely there if people want to go visit it. So I guess whenever we go to any of these places, uh, the the key is to ask people, okay, do you have audio description? Do you have, you know, to ask for these things, not to be shy about it. And if people don't, don't, don't know, then you kind of give, give them, you know, so let's say uh, someone at the front desk doesn't know, then you can kind of uh, nudge them to find out before you yep before exactly. you decide to to go to some event uh you said there was yes. this photography show coming up uh in uh in uh, in lakewood yes the lakewood cultural center in april is going to be having um group of their photographers who are blind and visually impaired themselves and they have a method that they've developed where they use regular film like camera film, not digital, and they'll have a subject in a dark room, but they'll open the aperture so that any amount of light that is coming in will get captured, and they start moving lights like flashlights and stuff around their subject, whether it's a person or people, and then um, it's kind of hard to describe for someone who's never seen it, but when light is exposed, like in time-lapse, things like that, you don't see pinpoints, you see lines where the light's you know, kind of draw out. It's kind of like where single images and frames become film. It's like single points of light become lines and extended more like film would be so that you see the outline of the thing they're doing. So they're going to be showing some of that. Plus they've paired it with um, jazz that they wrote specifically for this. And they're going to do a group uh, project afterward where everyone who's in attendance will have a photograph created of them in the same way. Bonnie, that was really fascinating stuff you shared with us and will certainly guide, hopefully, our listeners to try more events that they wouldn't otherwise go to and uh, get audio description. And what we'll do, Bonnie, is we'd like to bring you back. You want to, we want to have you just let people know about some of the things that are happening in this area that people might want to go to. So people, uh, listeners, uh, pay attention to part two of this program coming up. Uh, we haven't set a date yet, but we will. And meanwhile, go out and try the events you know about and look forward to seeing you there. This is Bill Lundgren, Hosts of Blind Sight, 
produced by the Audio Information Network of Denver, of Colorado. And uh, if you, the listener, have any ideas for things you want us to talk about or focus on, don't hesitate to uh, give us an email. Let us know uh, how you feel about the program. We will read all the emails. And we certainly enjoy having you all on board. Goodbye.